Hey, are you blessed by our worship team and how they serve the Lord each week up here? I'm blessed by them too. You know, I, I just wanted to say how uh, proud I am of the team and Pastor Marcus. He's built a culture of worship uh, where we're, we're going each week into the presence of the Lord with grateful hearts. Uh, and each week we've lived so much more life than the week before. And we're growing as worshipers and the team leads us in that. And so I'm just so grateful uh, for them and their service here. And I, my attention is especially on worship because... We're going through the teachings of Christ, and today we're talking about what Jesus says about worship. And I think that every church has to be intentional about growing as worshipers if we're going to keep the fire hot, and if we're going to keep the church warm, and if God's going to feel loved and adored each week. So listen, hey, do you want to come to church each week expecting God to do some amazing things, expecting God to show up in a special way? Do you want that? I want that. I want that, all right? But listen, it's going to take each one of us pursuing biblical worship to get there, to make sure that when people show up, they feel like something special is happening, God is present, He's greatly adored and admired. And hey, I don't know what life was like for you growing up, but I just got to be honest. I hated church growing up. Hated it. Going to church what for me was so dull and uninteresting and what was going on was kind of weird and not authentic and I didn't genuinely want to be there and didn't even feel like singing to God. So that was my starting point as a worshiper of God. Like I'd rather receive acupuncture from a snow shovel (laughs) than go to church. I'd rather be fast asleep or watching Tom and Jerry than go to church. All right, that's, that's, the heart God started with in my life, all right? I don't know, maybe you grew up as a child-loving church and liking to get dressed up and singing. In the, maybe like me, you hated it, all right? And I think what we're going for as a church is we want to be a church filled with God-honoring, Christ-exalting worship. We want to get to the point where Sunday morning is the day you look forward to the most the day you look forward to with the freshest heart, with the warmest spirit, and you come in this room ready to commune with your holy God. It's going to take a sustained effort to get there and stay there, and Jesus is going to help us with that today. There's really two questions we're going to answer today. Question one, are you a true worshiper? Question two, if so, are you truly worshiping? Let's pray, and then we'll hear from the Lord on worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came into the world and that you taught us about many things and we thank you that today you get to teach us about worship. What is it? There's so many ways to worship. There's so many places to worship. There's so many things we worship and people we worship and so many opinions on how you should be worshipped. Give us clarity. Give us guiding principles and help us, Lord, as we come back each week into your presence on Sunday morning to be true worshipers who are truly worshiping according to your standards. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, open up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And I'm going to give you just a little background because we're jumping in mid-conversation here. Okay, we're not, we're not preaching the whole conversation, just part of it. This is a, a story you've heard before. It's the woman at the well. You remember this story? Jesus meets this woman at the well. She's all alone. It's the middle of the day. She, she's going to get water. And, you know, she's a sinful woman. She's a Samaritan woman. And what is Jesus doing talking to her, right? That's the story. Just to give you a little background culturally, here's a picture, a map, uh, to show you where Samaria is. The purple is Samaria. And now the bottom, the greenish, on the top, the reddish, that's Israel, okay? The Samaritans and the Israelites didn't get along. So most Jews, if they were going from Jerusalem in the south to, say, Galilee in the north, they'd hop the river and avoid Samaria altogether. There was racism and hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. Why? Because the Samaritans were half-Jews. They were inferior, religiously, culturally, morally. So for Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan And a Samaritan woman, men and women didn't even have this kind of conversation back then. He was crossing all the cultural barriers, okay? And this was a sinful Samaritan woman. 
And he has this conversation with her in John 4, verse 20. It says this. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that people in Jerusalem, uh, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus was trying to get her to see who he was. She started a little fight about, well, we don't even agree on where we're supposed to worship. The Samaritans worship on this mountain, which Abraham showed us when he came into the promised land. And you Jews worship on your mountain, which is where David set up a temple. We can't even agree on that. She tried to use the controversy to get out of the question, who is Jesus, right? The hostility actually was that the Jews burned down the Samaritan temple in 128 B.C., They didn't like each other, all right? You burn our church down, we're not going to like you very much. Surprise, though, Jesus in verse 21 says, he says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, meaning yours, nor in Jerusalem, meaning ours, will you worship the Father. See, Jesus knew the temple in Jerusalem was going to get desecrated and torn down because of their disobedience in A.D. 70. Yeah, woman, you know what? Both temples are going to be destroyed. Oh, well, then how do we worship? Verse 22. You worship what you do not know. <laughs> Try that as an evangelism strategy. Tell that to your friend. This You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus redirected the conversation from where? Outside, external, show me where. He didn't even really give external hows, like do this, say this, sit, stand. He gave a condition of the heart. Worship in spirit and in truth. It's very internal, it's very intangible. And he's calling people to worship God in spirit and in truth. This is the heart of worship. Let's first define what worship is. You can write this down. Worship means to express adoration and declare worth. To express adoration and declare worth. Express adoration, one of the words for worship in the New Testament, literally means, it's beautiful, to adore on one's knees. There's a posture of humility and there's a heart of adoration. That's worship, to adore. But it also means to declare worth, meaning you're attaching value to the truth you've heard about someone. You know their identity, you know their stature, their value, so it's not just I love him, it's I know him. Therefore, worship is spirit, adoration. Worship is truth, meaning appraisal or worth or value of what you've heard. Worship is spirit. Worship is truth. In verse 22, it says some worship what they do not know. And it says some worship what they do know. Jesus likes to group people into two very simple black and white groups. You're either on the narrow road or the wide road. You're either a sheep or a goat. Here he says you're either a true worshiper or a false worshiper. Which one are you? Are you a true worshiper? Well, how do I know? True worshipers know God. False worshipers don't know God. True worshipers know how to worship God. False worshipers don't know how to worship God. He said to her, you worship, but you worship what you do not know. Worship in the formal sense here is going to a place and doing some things. Old Testament and New, the basic three fundamental things worship involved was singing, learning, and giving. Like like if I'm doing those things, I'm worshiping in the biblical, singing and learning and giving. He's like, you're doing those things, you're singing, learning, giving, but you're doing it to what you do not know. It's false worship. How do I know if I'm a true worshiper or a false worshiper? Well, look back in the Bible. It says here in verse 23, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Meaning, God has a plan through the nation of Israel to bring salvation into the world. The word salvation gets its, uh, has a root, 
meaning to be saved or delivered, delivered from death and brought to new life. Who is a true worshiper? It's someone who finds the salvation that came into the world through the Jewish people. In other words, someone who's found the Messiah. Listen to that word again, salvation. It implies that in order to be a true worshiper, you need to be saved. The Bible, in fact, goes on to say here in verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here, check it out, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Get this, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. You've got God the Father seeking true worshipers by bringing them salvation through the Messiah so they can worship Him in spirit and in truth. The word salvation and the word seeking, put them together and you've got God on a rescue mission to save people. Here's what I think of when I think rescue mission. Check this out. This is a search and rescue operation going on. How'd you like to be that guy? (laughs) Dangling from a helicopter over choppy waters. Why? Because he's got to get into the water. There's people who need to be rescued. Here's another picture. This is what it looks like to be a rescue worker, seeking to rescue or save those who are in need. And then when you finally get into the water, you've got all these people around you. You get them all fastened to the cable, and then you give the thumbs up, and what happens? They get pulled out of the water into safety. Hey, listen. True worshipers have been saved by God the Father through God the Son. That's the definition of a true worshiper. Jesus is standing in front of this woman telling her how to receive salvation from God the Father. Now get this. Who is God the Father seeking? Who? This is a Samaritan woman. And Jesus tells her, go get your husband and come back. And do you remember what she says? I have no husband at the moment. And he says, that's right, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now isn't your husband. She's living with bachelor number six. All right, I don't know if you know anybody who's been married five times and they're living with the sixth person, but if you did, you'd have some opinions about that person. Am I right? Am I right? This is a sinful So just for, this is a Samaritan sinful woman. Like, like put your eyebrows up as high as they'll go. Go on and say with me, her? Who is God the Father going to seek to become a worshiper of Him through His Son? Her? This is the only time Jesus flat out told someone he's the Messiah. She said, well, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything to us. And he said, I who am speaking to you, I'm him. He never did that. She gets that. Wow. If God will seek her to become a true worshiper, how how much more me? Worship means to express adoration and declare worth. The Father is the one doing the seeking. Many churches are set up like this. Many churches say, well, people are seeking God. We don't want to put any roadblock in their search for God, so we're going to set church up so that it's non-threatening, non-confrontational, and it's going to be the easiest path possible for they to come in, seek God, and find God. Right? There's something very wrong with their assumption. The Bible says no one seeks God, not even one. God's doing the seeking. If God decided to stop seeking no one would ever get saved ever again. Do you understand that? God is the seeker. People are not seeking him. So to set up a church to make it comfortable for people who hate church and for people who hate God isn't in line with what the Bible teaches. We're supposed to set up a church knowing that God is seeking people and that if we are found and saved, we will sing for joy to him in spirit and in truth knowing he is going to reach out and save more people in our midst. Worship means to express adoration and declare worth. And listen, at this church, when you come here, you come here for God. You come here to make him feel loved and valuable and praised. You don't come here all afraid of what other people are going to think. Church is for God, not for you. 
And you come here bringing worship that makes God feel like the most honored guest in the room. Okay, so God the Father is seeking, through His Son, worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. True worshipers are those who have found salvation through the Messiah. Okay, if I'm a true worshiper, how do I truly worship? All right, let's camp on that now. We're going to set up the rig here, and we're going to drill down on two words, spirit and truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? So here's the first one. Write this down. How to worship in spirit. It means to adore God and declare his worth with all that is within you. To adore God and declare his worth with all that is within you. The truth is this. Worship is a spiritual encounter with a spiritual God. Meaning if all you have is the external, I made my way to the building, grabbed a bulletin and sat in my seat, mumbled a few words during the song, took a few notes, and then went home and took a nap. Great. That's all true. That's all formal. That's all external. But is that really all that it's about? Jesus would say no. Worship is in spirit. Here's what that means. You are spirit. You need to understand how you were manufactured. You're not flesh and bones, period. You're not just body and hair and fingers and toes. You're spirit. You have a soul. There is part of you deep within that is made of something that transcends this world entirely. Something that will outlive this universe if it's destroyed. Heaven and hell are both eternal because the stuff you're made of can never be undone. You're a spiritual being. For now, your spirit is confined within your body. Your body gives you your uniqueness also. But the uniqueness of your body is expressed through the choices of your spirit. I don't know how a spirit gets confined to a body. Figure that one out. But God made it happen. But one day, your body will go on the ground and your spirit will then go to be with Christ. Somehow, forever, you're going to get a resurrected body that is fused, becomes a spiritual body. I don't get it. The point is this. You are a spiritual being. You're not primarily a physical being. You're primarily a spiritual being. Because of that, you have the ability to commune in a special way with a spiritual God. There's a relationship that you can have with God that transcends any sort of relationship animals can have with God. Or any sort of relationship you can have with one another. But there's a problem. The Bible teaches that your spirit is dead. Sin broke your spirit, stained your spirit, corrupted your spirit. So the Bible says that when we're born, we are spiritually dead. Not dead in terms of I can't find a heartbeat. That, it's just a parallel. Dead means separated. So it's like saying you're dead to God. You get it? Relationally. It's like you're dead to him. You're spiritually, relationally dead to Him. There's nothing connecting you spiritually to God from the moment you're born. Do you realize what that means when it comes to worship? You're not born a true worshiper. In fact, you're born incapable of true worship. If you understand that your fundamental problem is spiritual death, you'll understand why Jesus needs to give you new life. Sometimes people will say, well, the primarily... The primary problem with humanity is ignorance. If we could just get them the right teachers and the right textbooks and the right education and they know history and they know government and they know, then the world would run right. No. Or, you know what? The primary problem with humans is morality. If we could just have Big Bird teach them some manners and they behave themselves when other people are around, the whole world would run right. Listen, the primary problem with humanity is not that we are ignorant. It's not that we're bad The primary problem is that we're dead, spiritually dead to God. And that spiritual lifelessness is what gushes out our depravity and our sinful choices on a daily basis. The root is spiritual death. The solution is spiritual life, which is why when Jesus comes along and says to this woman, I'll give you Streams of living water that will flow from within you. She says, give me this water that I don't have to come drink again. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. You are a spirit, but your spirit is dead. When you trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're born again. 
Spiritually speaking, the Bible teaches that you become a brand new creation. The old you, the Bible says, dies. There's a new spiritual person. Another way to put it is God says, I'll remove your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. To the true worshiper, God has done open heart surgery without anesthetic. He's ripped out the old you, the old heart, and he's put in the new you, the new heart. Now, nobody can see that because it's invisible and it's spiritual. So what happens is then you start changing your behavior. People are like, are you different? Did you get a haircut? Did you go shopping? Something's different about you. Right, it's my spirit. But now I'm gushing out righteousness and worship. And you're seeing the outflow of the spiritual transformation. This is what you have to understand. If you're going to be a true worshiper, you need Christ to give you spiritual life. And if you're going to truly worship, you need to be spiritually made alive. If I'm going to adore God and declare his worth with all that is within me, I need to become a different person. Check this out. This is a picture of a homeless guy. They just pulled him off the street. and They're like, hey, can we give you a makeover? He's like, sure, I didn't have anything else going on today. So they hired like professional stylists and they went to work on him. Uh, they got him all cleaned up. They started going to work on a, you know, his, his look and his appearance. And here's finally what came out. He's new, he, or at least physically, superficially, he looks like a new guy, doesn't he? Here's a comparison of before and after. All right, now, hey, <laughs> great. If you want to go and get a physical makeover, you'll look totally different and that's cool. But spiritually... That's what happens to you when you find new life in Jesus Christ. Jesus can give you new life spiritually so that you were one guy, now you're a whole new person. That has to happen for you to become a true worshiper. You can't worship in spirit any other way. Now, why does this need to happen? Well, look at verse 24. In verse 24, it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit. So you're spirit, but God is spirit. The third person of the Trinity is what? The Holy Spirit. Meaning eternally God is made up of a Holy Spirit. He's a spiritual being. He transcends this world entirely. That's why you can't whittle him out of wood or form him out of gold. You can't make any sort of physical representation out of him because he's spirit, right? When God wanted to express himself to you in a physical form, you know how he did it? The Bible says in Christ, all the fullness of God dwelt bodily. The only way you can see God, the only God you'll ever see is Jesus Christ. So if we want to adore God and declare his worth with all that's within us, we need a new spirit and we need to understand that God is spirit. And this is the beautiful truth. The Bible says that the moment that you're saved, not only do you get a new spirit that's capable of worshiping a holy God, But God's spirit comes to live within you. How precious is that? That the very moment, the first chance God gets when you're washed of sin and righteous in his sight, the instant that it's possible, his spirit rushes into you so that he dwells with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Bible in the New Testament says you're a temple of God if you're saved. Here's a picture of the temple. You become a holy dwelling place of God the Spirit. Now, it didn't, doesn't just mean the building the temple. That big building in the back was the uh, holy place, and in that building was the holy of holies, which means it's not just the temple. It's the very innermost sacred sanctuary of the temple. That's the word used when it says you're a temple of God. You are the very dwelling place of God the Spirit. That's why you don't have to go to the temple. You are a temple. The Bible doesn't just say that about you individually. It says it about the church, plural. We are the temple of God. Just think about that. How do I become a true worshiper? I need a new spirit that's washed and made ready to commune with the holy God. And I need God's spirit to come within me so that I can fellowship with him in a meaningful way. If I'm going to adore God and declare his worth with all that's within me, I need a new spirit and I need God's spirit to come within me. Because this is true, we as a church on a weekly basis are capable of communing with a spiritual God in spiritual ways that transcend this world. It's about a spiritual interaction with a holy God that's vertical, where we feel God's love for us and he feels our love for him. We draw near to him, he draws near to us. That's what worship is all about. It's spirit. 
It's not just external. Okay, but practically, what does it mean to worship in spirit? Like, what does it really mean to do that? Well, it starts with the condition of your heart that you bring into the room. You see, and it, it's a weekly challenge because we're tempted each week to come in with a very distracted heart. Am I right? A very dull heart, a, an ungrateful heart, a doubtful heart, an exhausted heart. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but even during the second or the third song, my mind starts to wander and my heart starts to get distracted or I start to worry about something going on. And if I'm going to truly worship in spirit, if I'm going to truly worship God and declare his worth with all that's within me, it's a moment-by-moment transfer of all of the worries of this world out and all of the glory of God in. That's what we're going for. That's what it means to worship in spirit, the kind of heart you bring into this room to a holy God. I think when you are worshiping in spirit, you can't help but be expressive. You can't help but show it physically somehow in an appropriate manner. Now, I know many people, maybe you grew up in a spirit church, maybe you grew up in a truth church. I know sometimes people get really wary about expressing themselves in worship because they're afraid that we're going to get all carried away, you know. So here's the thing. The Bible does lay out some boundaries. And I think we should seek to grow in expression of our adoration for the Lord. I think we should, right? But what are the boundaries God places in the Bible? Well, you can write these down. The first boundary is God accepts worship that involves coherent speech. Write that down. Coherent speech. If you need a verse, it's 1 Corinthians 14.28. You can write that down, 1 Corinthians 14.28. Coherent speech. What that means is the Bible doesn't allow, for example, the speaking of tongues unless it becomes something coherent. Um, It says, unless there's someone to interpret, the person speaking in tongues is, get this, to keep quiet, speaking to himself and God. Meaning, what God honors and accepts in his church is speaking in tongues. We believe that that still happens. But if it doesn't result in coherent, understandable speech, it's supposed to be quiet between you and God. Meaning, a church where everyone is speaking in tongues, no one's interpreting, a church where someone tells you you have to speak in tongues to truly worship, isn't quite following this boundary found in Scripture. Uninterpreted tongues has no place in the gathered worship. Only coherent speech. Tongues could be a vehicle through a teaching or some word of prophecy or knowledge, but if it's just tongues in its raw form, that's not the way God has called out for worship. There's supposed to be a boundary of, coher- of coherent speech. Okay, We're not a charismatic church. We have many people with a charismatic background in our church, which I think is great. First Thessalonians 5 says, don't put out the Spirit's fire. And we don't seek to do that. But what we're saying is we don't really have interpreters here. We don't really have this elevation of the gift. So tongues is supposed to be private between you and God here in the gathered church. What's another boundary? Well, conscious participation. This comes from 1 Corinthians 14.15. You can write that down. 1 Corinthians 14.15 where the Apostle Paul says, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind, with my mind too. In fact, the Apostle Paul condemns a church where a visitor shows up and says, you're out of your minds. That's not what God wants. All right, so hear me. What I'm saying is this. The church where regularly there's this expectation that you could come forward and be rendered unconscious on the floor, out of your mind, that doesn't fall in line with biblical boundaries. And certainly the leaders aren't supposed to be expected to be able to wield that spiritual power, nor is the New Testament calling for that sort of of out-of-mind spiritual experience. In fact, if you trace that activity throughout the Bible, it's often God's enemies who are rendered spiritually unconscious before the Lord, not his friends and his worshipers. It's just not something that should be the norm in the Christian church according to the boundaries found in 1 Corinthians 14. Coherent speech, conscious participation, and the next one is controlled expression. This comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 32 to 33, where it says, The spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. We've had people who have just flat out asked, Can I just like shout out with the loudest shout I want and run up and down the aisles in your church? And we say no, because that would be out of control. 
and the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You have to be in self-control. Worship, we saw a video once on YouTube where a guy was so out of control in worship, he ran up and dove into the baptistry in a full suit. In a full suit, totally out of control. And this is not the worship God calls for. He wants there to be some... You read through 1 Corinthians 14 and Paul's like, this many people speak, maybe this, and the rest of you sit down and be quiet. You don't talk when this... He's like controlling their expression. Okay? So boundaries are coherent speech, conscious participation, controlled expression. Now, within those boundaries, listen, within those boundaries... Sunday morning should stir up your affections for God more than any other time in the week. Something should be happening vertically between you and the God who saved you. Emotionally. Visibly. Your greatest affections should be stirred up during worship. That's what it means to worship in spirit. Adore God and declare His worth with all that is within you. Here's the next one. Let's talk about what it means to worship in truth. It means this, to embrace God's truth and proclaim it gladly. To embrace God's truth and proclaim it gladly. Worship isn't just a spiritual encounter with a spiritual God. Worship is a truth encounter with a truth from God. A truth encounter with a truth from God. Jesus said to this woman, you worship what you do not know. That's very unkind. Very unkind to say that to someone. What you're worshiping is what you do not know. You do not know God. You do not know how to worship him. Imagine the offense if you just made that your Facebook post today. I think many of you worship what you do not know. And then just be like, Jesus. You'll get some comments. You'll get some feedback. People will unfriend you. Because how narrow-minded does it sound for you to tell me that my worship is false? You're a true worshiper and I'm not? Like, this so rubs our culture the wrong way. All right, but let me prove to you, let me prove to you that you will agree truth is necessary for love to be valid. Let me prove that to you. I love my wife. My wife's awesome. If I went up to my wife and I said, babe, give me a hug. Then I looked her in the eye and I said, man, those hazel brown eyes are just lighting me up on the inside right now. And then I touched her hair and said, man, this curly brown hair is just, oh, I can't get enough of it. And then I said, man, when you play the piano, I just, it just creates music to my soul. I'd get slapped because here's my wife. She's got blonde hair, blue eyes, and she doesn't play the piano. Okay, follow me here. If I, in love, say things about my wife to her that are untrue, she's deeply offended. Right? Why? Why? Because I'm describing another woman. The true woman is offended when I am adoring another woman. Listen, the true God is offended when you are adoring another God. The true God is offended when you are describing another God. You get deeply offended when someone attributes something to you that's not true. Oh, he's greedy. No, I'm not. How dare he say that I'm greedy? I'm not. When someone says something about you that's not true, you get deeply offended. When they mar your reputation and you insist in your heart that they get the truth right about Why? Because if I don't love the truth about you, I don't love you. If you don't love the truth about God, you don't love God. How dare you tell me what I need to think about God? What do you mean you're the only one who can worship God if I believe the Christian truth about God? Do you understand that you yourself can testify that the truth about you is necessary for love to be true? You believe that. You do. Your spouse believes that. They do. God believes that. My daughter played softball this year 
Uh, and she got, you know, the photos, they take your picture and they give you playing cards in the middle. So she got her softball picture. Check it out. Here it is. Do you see something wrong with this picture? There's our little Terry Flanagan. <laughs> they got her name wrong. <laughs> Terry Flanagan. That's not even the name of a person on her team. That's the name of a person's mom on her team. <laughs> Whoops. Now, do you think when Ellie got that, she said, oh, well, they can call me whatever they want. No, that's not my name. They got my name wrong. So this cultural sensibility that I can love God and believe anything I want about him and worship him any way that I want, you don't even let people treat you that way. You expect a holy God to let everyone treat him that way? You're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Your own standards defy that logic. God is offended when you say things about him that aren't true. God is offended when you worship him in ways that aren't prescribed. There is worship God rejects. There is worship that God rejects. He doesn't give points for effort. He gives points for accuracy. What does God reject? You can write this down. God rejects legalism. Legalism is the following of rules of men. Following the rules of men. Meaning, if if the church can gain control over the external conformity to rules. Like, we'll tell you what fabric you need to wear. We'll tell you your hair length. We'll tell you what movies and books you should, you know, peruse. We'll we'll tell you what Bible translation. If we can get all the external things conformed to our rule list, then it's true worship God accepts. Actually, it's false worship God rejects. See, because true worship comes from the Spirit, not from the flesh. And making a list of rules that men make is worship that's repulsive to God. It's called legalism. Legalism is a lie. Legalism is if we can impose all the rules of faith on you, then maybe your heart will come along eventually. False! Your list of rules can't change the heart. Creates pride and breeds hypocrisy. God also rejects formalism. You can write that down. God rejects formalism, which means I'll follow some rituals, but I won't have a relationship with God. This was me growing up. I was raised Catholic. I know Catholics who are Christians. I wasn't one of them. I was a Catholic who wasn't a Christian. I'd go through the rituals, show up, sit, stand, kneel, pray, sing, communion, bolt out the door. We called it the Catholic shuffle. (laughs) Every moment was scripted. It was scripted. We only went twice a year. Now listen, if you got out of practice... If you fall behind, you could get hurt, all right? There was this one time I was in church, and I I fell behind, and the kneeler came down on my toe, and the little old lady next to me got down on it before I could pull my toe out, crushed my toe. I couldn't stop. She was praying. I couldn't stop her. I was like, oh, what happened? I fell behind, fell behind. People get hurt when you fall behind in the ritual. Hey, I don't know about you, but my story growing up was formalism. I had the rituals, I did communion, I did confirmation, I did baptism. I had no relationship with Jesus Christ. Hey, is that you? Did you have the rituals growing up, but truly, honestly, Jesus Christ means nothing to you? God doesn't accept that worship. That's formalism. The next one is idolatry. This is following another truth about other gods. Yeah, but they sincerely believe that truth. You really think God's going to look down? Some whole nations believe other things. You think God's going to look down and say, well, you know, I'm going to reject them. Okay, if a whole nation came to call my daughter Terry Flanagan, does that make it any truer? They all believe it, Ellie. It's not my name. If a whole nation came to think my wife is having brown curly hair and lovely hazel eyes, Lord, they all think it's true and they really believe it. It's truly offensive. It's just widely held. God will not accept false truth claims about himself to be embraced. He won't. And don't in any place of your heart allow any hope that people will be saved without you getting the gospel to them, the truth about God, so they can be true worshipers. He will not accept false truth claims in the name of sincerity. That's not our God. Frankly, you wouldn't either. You wouldn't accept false things to be said about you in the name of sincerity. Neither will God. It's offensive. 
Truth is necessary for love to be true. So if we embrace God's truth, we will proclaim it gladly. What does it mean to practically worship God in truth? Well, sadly, maybe you grew up in a truth church. How many of you would say your church experience growing up was more, it wasn't on the spirit side where people were very expressive and very emotional and very open. It was more on the truth side where everything was kind of controlled and you didn't really express yourself. Who, who honestly, that's kind of the, I'm not saying it's bad, I'm just saying that's your experience. Come on, raise your hand up. Okay, doesn't this feel good? Put your hand up in church. I tricked you there. You just testified. Honestly, if you grew up in a church where during a very emotional moment in a very meaningful song, where if you were to go like this, and if that was forbidden, your, your church was lacking something. We want to go for the best of both worlds. Harvest doesn't do this perfectly, but we try and draw from the spirit churches and say, hey, express yourself with all of your heart in a meaningful way within the boundaries of Scripture. Do it in a way that observes and embraces the truth about Christ, doesn't get all gushy-lovey on the truth or hazy on the gospel, and do it, do it with lyrics that actually do describe our holy, awesome God. We'd call this contemporary without compromise. That's what we would call this. And I'm not saying by any means Harvest is the only way, the only church that gets this right. I'm saying we're striving for this. And I'm saying it's very uncommon for churches to try and strive for both because they're afraid of the excess, right? They're afraid of where each side could lead. I'm just saying we're going for that. We're going for truth. We're going for spirit. We're going for both in the same heart. Do you bring a heart that embraces the truth of the gospel to church? Do you embrace everything God said about himself? Do you embrace the whole gospel? Do you know that Jesus is the hope of the world? Do you sing like it's true? During, during the message, do you receive the truth of God knowing that God still has things to do in you? Do you receive it with a hungry heart, hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Or, or do you come with an impervious, dull, rebellious uninterested heart that just seeks to... You see, we have to bring a heart to the Word of God. We have to bring a heart to the truth. And we have to proclaim a truth that says true things about our God if it's going to be true worship. What is true worship? Well, true worshipers are saved by God. Truly worship is worshiping in spirit, adore a God and declare His worth with all that's within you. And worship in truth, which means to embrace His truth, all of it, and to proclaim it gladly. Here's the last thing, though. You can write this down. Worship ultimately be- begins with Christ. Worship ultimately begins with Christ. Here what happens in this story is this sinful Samaritan woman is standing before Jesus, and he says to her, God is seeking worshipers. He's seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit, That means the Holy Spirit has to be involved in giving you a new spirit, but also in truth. And Jesus said, I'm the way and the the truth. I'm the truth. How does God seek worshipers? Through His Spirit and through His Son. Through His Spirit and through His truth. You want to be a true worshiper? You've got to embrace the truth of Jesus and you have to receive the person of the Holy Spirit. That's how you become a true worshiper. How else does God seek? Well, get this. This woman got saved. She embraced the truth about Jesus. She left her water there, which is indicative that she received the water of the Holy Spirit. She ran to town. And guess what? She started telling everyone about Jesus. She said, you've got to come and see this guy who told me everything I ever did. Then, in her joyful testimony, as she's worshiping Christ by adoring him and by telling true things about him, she drags them out. And guess what? It says in John 4, 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They came to know him as Savior and Lord. Right there, a worship service broke out in the middle of the desert among loathsome Samaritans. Jesus didn't just say it, he did it. He made worshipers right there in the desert. The church is God's way of seeking those who don't worship him. You are God's way of reaching non-worshippers and bringing them to Christ. You know, John Piper said, it's awesome. He said, missions exists 
because worship doesn't. Evangelism and missions is God's way to go out and make disciples, and the first thing a disciple does is worship Christ. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I think we're a little too carried away on this person of Jesus here. I worship God. Uh, John 5.23 says this, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Listen, here's the biblical truth. This is true for you and everyone in your life. If you don't worship Christ, you don't worship God. And your worship is false. True worship starts with worship of Christ. That's why we challenge people, even in our first membership class, that where your walk with God, where your journey begins with the Lord, is worshiping Jesus as God the Son who came into this world, the truth of God, to save you. That's where, you're, that's where it all begins. That's where you become a true worshiper of God. This woman modeled that, and she ran off and told everyone, come and see the one who's the Messiah. Are you a true worshiper? Are you? You know, growing up, my grandma Vera uh, was a very one-of-a-kind, boisterous, feisty, sweet woman. She passed away a couple weeks ago, and just this past week, we got to do her service. And I have many memories of my grandma Vera. She was old school, old school in her parenting she raised two rowdy boys, my dad and his brother. They were fast. When she disciplined them, she had to sneak up behind with the soap and get it in their mouth before they could run off. I mean, she was old school tough. And when she babysat, you didn't mess around with her, right? But I remember when I was a teenager, my grandma was 75 years old and she started going to church. 75 years old. She started going to church. I got saved first. Then my dad came along and he got saved and he invited his mom, my grandma, to church, and she started coming in her 70s. She heard the truth of the gospel, surrendered her life to Christ. <clears throat> she got baptized. We've got pictures of her. It's a picture of my grandma when she was young with my grandpa, Jerry. And uh, here's a picture of grandma and me. Aww. And here's a picture of my grandma's baptism, 75-year-old woman going under the water. She became a true worshiper of God, partially because of my testimony, partially because of my dad's. 75 years old. And, and a couple of days before she died, I sat with her and I just talked to her. I said, Grandma, you remember the testimony you gave when you got baptized? Oh, yeah. You remember the truths that you proclaimed about Jesus? Oh, yeah. You know, Jesus has made some promises that he's going to keep to you and you're going to be with him forever in heaven. Absolutely. That was her hope. She was ready. She became a worshiper of Christ. Are you a true worshiper? And if so, are you striving to truly worship when you come here each week? But what does that mean? Well, let me give you three last challenges. First, make worship a priority. You can write that down. Make worship a priority. Meaning you've got to get here. Uh, 52 Sundays a year. If you're healthy and you're in town, you're in church. Uh, the next time your kids say, are we going to church today? Say, never ask me that question again. Next time you wake up and you feel more and more like sleeping in or getting ready for the game or whatever, tell yourself, 52 Sundays a year, this is a priority. How many worship services do you get in life? Not many. You've got to be here. Next, preparation. Arrive early. <laughs> you don't have a heart of worship if you're running 10 minutes late and the kids are all half-dressed and you didn't give them bread, you're dragging them. Get in the kids' ministry. Come on, shut up. and Get in the classroom. Great is thy faithfulness. Yeah, we're like, <gasps> help me. Hey, prepare. Get here early. Warm the room up by shaking some hands and talking to some people. Say a prayer. Read a psalm. I mean, prepare your heart for worship. And then participate. Make it a priority. Prepare and participate. You were saved to sing. You were saved to learn. You were saved to give. Participate in every form of the worship service possible with joy in your heart, with gladness. Don't wait for the other person to start clapping. You start clapping. Don't look around and see if anybody else raised their hand yet. You get that hand up in the air. We had somebody once tell us, last week I raised my hand in church for the first time ever. Grown man. And, uh, and one of our pastors said, how did it feel? And he said, it felt incredible. <laughs> He's in his 30s. First time he's ever done this in church in his life. Hey, participate. Participate. 
Make it a priority. Prepare and participate. It begins with Christ. Hey, are you a true worshiper? And are you seeking to truly worship each week? Are you growing in gratitude, growing in generosity? And are you just growing in the knowledge of God's word? That's what we're going for. That's what we're going for each week. But listen, I want to end here by saying, maybe you realize this morning you're not a true worshiper. I want to give you a chance. Just as that sinful, alone, shamed woman at the well found the grace of Christ, so can you. So can you become a worshiper of Christ today. Let's pray together right now. Father, thank you for seeking the lost. Thank you for seeking me. Thank you for seeking my father and my grandmother and my mother. Thank you, Lord, that we believe by faith you are seeking, even in this room this morning, those who would worship you. But there's a truth they need to believe. And there is a spirit they need to receive. And that can only come through Jesus Christ. Maybe, Lord, maybe you're convincing some, even right now, of their need for a Savior a Messiah, a rescue. Maybe, Lord, there's some who have been wondering where you've been all their lives, feel abandoned by you or alone, and they know now why. It's because they don't yet have your Spirit in them. But they can. Maybe there's some who all their lives have come to church and it's been boring and dry and lifeless and uneventful, and now they know why. It's because they've not been born again. Maybe there's some who have been resistant to embracing the entire truth about Christ found in the Bible. And they know today they need to surrender so that they don't offend you deeply. Lord, I just want to give folks a chance right now to pray to you and to become true worshipers for the first time in their lives. They can pray something like this. Father in heaven, thank you for seeking me through your Son and through your Spirit. Forgive me for living a life absent of worship for you. Forgive me for living a life of worship for myself and other things. Here and now I repent and I turn to Jesus, the Messiah, and I admit I need to be saved. Here and now I ask to be made a true worshiper and I want to grow every week now in worshiping in spirit and in truth. Jesus, save me and forgive me. Fill my heart with songs for you. This is my prayer in your name.